Welcome to The Counsellor and the Coach again, with me, Dermot Coonan, a counselling psychologist. And myself, Peter Connolly, I'm a coaching psychologist. Today we want to talk to you about the idea of how people might prepare for exams, having had a workshop very recently with a group of really, really impressive young people who are a month away from their final exams in secondary school, similar to high school, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, and during this session, we asked them to write down what some of their challenges are in the month ahead. And there were some very common themes that came up, uh, but probably one of the most common was the challenge of um, managing the stress of it all. And whether that's during the studying period or when the actual exam comes up. So today we might cover a couple of ideas and, and techniques that might help with that. A second part of it that they highlighted was in the direction of memory retrieval. Mm. And I do think that they really have something in common, and that is really how the brain works and how we want to be, where possible, in a calm, focused condition where we are outside of our survival mode, where we might feel overwhelmed and in emergency, and also outside of that mode where we feel numb, bored, frozen. Really, it is a Goldilocks zone of calm focus that we're aiming for. Yeah, to, to me, I, I sometimes think of it as, as attuned to what the situation really requires of me. And, and sometimes high performance, which is often what an exam requires, it requires a small bit of adrenaline. Absolutely. You know, it doesn't need us so, to have so much adrenaline that we're overwhelmed, but a little bit is no harm. So I often think of myself if I'm approaching an exam or a, a situation that may stimulate stress as a little bit excited rather than nervous. Psychology talks about eustress, which is the idea that there is a productive, worthwhile version of stress to have. Mm. And maybe that is actually about a way of seeing the feelings I'm having, calling them excited rather than nervous, mm -hmm. and that, that that can be helpful. But our message today is one that really is forgiving in the sense that, OK, you are where you are. You feel what you feel. Do the best you can with that, because if you feel similarly nervous today, and in the exams themselves, your brain's in the similar kind of state. Yeah. And so how can we get ourselves into a state when we're preparing that's somewhat similar to the state we're in when we're actually doing the exam? You know, you, you find this with athletes and with musicians and actors. They're all the time thinking about how can I be in the best possible state? And usually it's at three levels. It's, it's the physiological you know, how do I get myself in the physical shape I want to be in for the performance? Then it's a mental state. So my thinking, my thoughts and then the emotional state. Sometimes you got to you got to manage some of those. Maybe we've, we've got some past stuff that we, we, we want to manage and not have it interfere with the moment. Sometimes there's present stuff and sometimes maybe we can, you know, visualize or use imagery to step into a positive future state that can help us. That but process of preparation, I think, is really worthwhile. Again, coming back to the idea of 
Fleming, who came up with the penicillin, fortune favors the prepared mind. That preparation is to recognize that the mind or the brain, the body, the thoughts, the emotions, they will fluctuate in any given day to a certain amount. So what we want is to be able to ride those waves of fluctuation, rather than saying there's one fixed and perfect state to be in at all times. Mm -hmm. That idea of fixed state is quite fragile. Mm -hmm. And if we feel off form, we're not able to adjust to that. So what we try to do in, in our work, I guess, is to help people be tolerant of the range of feelings that they may have and recognize that this is a process that's ongoing. Yeah. And it's, it, it is really important to acknowledge the fact that there are, you know, there are biological factors. We all have circadian rhythms where, you know, some of us are more morning people, some of us more afternoon people. Personally, I find the afternoon when it comes to training is one of the more challenging. It's it's why in, in business it often gets the term the graveyard shift, because often it's when people feel a need to have a nap. Yes. In some cultures, we even yeah. have the, the siesta. Uh -huh. And that's actually a very old way of managing state. You know, it's 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 an old way of saying, well, my body needs some rest in the day as well. It's to find out what works best for each individual here. And we develop that over time. For yeah. us, it's been a process that's taken many years, I guess, to to, yeah. to find out what works best for us. Yeah. Um, and, and then, of course, there are things that are that are recommended. You know, there have mm. been some uh, scientific studies of, of, you know, what can be helpful when studying and what's less helpful. And, you know, one of the things that are at a very basic level is that we don't cram huge amounts of reading into large blocks of time, you know, that we instead do short blocks and we then test ourselves or question ourselves. Um, and then we might change to a different subject and do another short block and question ourselves and getting into this habit of not just reading and reading and reading, but actually reading and testing. And a lot of our study is oriented, obviously, towards the brain and towards being focused in that way. But we can't forget the body. So mm. it is important to get up and move around a little bit here and there yeah. and to to look after ourselves in that holistic way. Yes. There's even been some studies done on that where they divided two, uh, one group of people into two and half rested for 15 minutes and then took a test and then half went for a 15 minute walk and then took a test. And what they found was the people who did the walk did better. But not only that, they did a brain scan on those people and they found more parts of the brain were lit up in the brain scan. So, you know, taking time out during study periods to do a little bit of exercise can be very important. But even if you if you can't, say, go for a walk, even just getting up from your desk or, you know, having a, a walk around the room, a little bit of exercise and just, you know, one of the simplest things I've found you can do, uh, which can trigger a relaxation response is to go into your breath and let out a longer out breath than your in breath which has a tendency to calm the body. When, when, when our body gets less calm, we tend to take shorter breaths. And so if we wanted to calm a little bit, we let out a longer out breath. Now, if you take that a little bit further, you can even have steps to it. You can take in a breath for a count of four, 
hold it for a count of six and then let it out for a count of eight. And apparently if you do that about three or four times, not only does it relax the body a little bit, but it actually clears the mind and it gives the mind something to focus on. I think that's really helpful to have these kind of anchors, like the focus of a count of certain numbers, that that can take the mind off distractions. Because I guess when I talk to people about meditation, I sometimes see the eyes glaze over or the anxious feeling of, no, I can't do it, you know. So for some, meditation is a dirty word because they really associate it with how busy their own mind is. Mm -hmm. A little bit like saying, you know, it's nice to have a tidy room they're thinking oh they don't want to see my room it's so untidy but actually the mind is a very cluttered place naturally enough yeah and yeah. meditation really is only an exercise in distraction mm -hmm. and coming back to the next breath yeah here comes the distraction okay and here's the next breath and maybe we could say in relation to the numbers they're Breathing in for four, yeah. holding for six, breathing out for eight. That these numbers are a little bit like a sweeping brush that you bring in to the untidy room that is your mind and you have something to hold on to for balance. It kind of helps to give a little bit of focus. But even That's... then, distractions will come in. And as they do, we just notice them and then back to the focus of the flow of air in the next time the holding of that breath, the release of that breath again. And actually, there's, a, there's an exercise that I learned a couple of years ago from somebody that goes hand in hand with that. If there are thoughts that keep invading the mind, that we keep a, a scrap of paper, a piece of paper beside us as we're studying, and that thought keeps coming into my mind, I just, on that scrap of paper, I just write down the thought. Uh -huh. So it might be... You know, I, I must ring somebody, you know, so I just write down, I must ring somebody. And then once I've written it down, I just draw my attention back either to the breath or to what I'm studying. And another distraction might come in and I might write the thought down on the page and then come back to what it is I want to focus on. All the time, gently, compassionately trying to bring the attention back instead of what we tend to do, I think, which is beat ourselves up yeah. for not being focused enough. And the beating self up is just another type of thought. So mm -hmm. some of the thoughts will be self-critical. Mm -hmm. Some of the thoughts may have an emotional content to them. Yeah. And again, it's really fascinating when you see research that says that writing it on paper is a way of getting it off your chest. There was yeah. research in a large engineering company where a large number of people were laid off. They lost their jobs and they were asked half of the group to write down their feelings, the sadness at the loss of the job, the fear for their family and their livelihood, their anger at decisions made that led to the company closing down. They were monitored, both groups, the group who did this and the group who just went about their business, how many CVs they sent, how many calls they made, and how many job interviews they, they sat. And they found a significant proportion of those who wrote about their emotions honestly on paper, not even to share with anyone else, but just to get them out there, were 
much faster in getting reemployed than those who are left maybe holding this stuff in. Yeah. So even if you found yourself sitting down to study and you're a little bit overwhelmed by thoughts or negative feelings, perhaps a quick five minutes of just free writing onto the page and and then coming to the study. You know, it might clear the mind a little bit and get yourself a little bit more ready for what's to come. And that's uh, idea of making space, I think, is a really interesting one, because, again, in psychology, we'd use it for areas like chronic pain. So someone's experiencing chronic pain. We try and offer them a little bit of space through what might be described as a mindful body scan. I might take you through some of the basic ideas within a body scan now, if that's okay. Let's just assume that potentially we might be feeling some areas with more tension than others. Very often it could be the stomach area might have butterflies in it, for example. And we're going to breathe in a slow, relaxed way, noticing our breath, focusing in on this next inward breath, the flow of air in, the stillness, the flow of air out again. And we might tune up to butterflies in the stomach, this kind of area now for a moment. And as we tune in to butterflies in the stomach, accepting what we find there, we come back to the next breath, breathing in in a nice relaxed way, the stillness between breaths, slow, relaxed, outward breath. And now we're going to move our attention down to our toes. We might go for the toes on the right foot just right now. Just noticing how the toes feel. Breathing into that feeling. Stillness and outward breath. Noticing how the toes feel. We might now move back to the stomach and how it's feeling. Not trying to change anything. What's there is there. Breathing through this awareness. Continuing to breathe through the awareness of how you're feeling there. And now bring our focus to the palms of our hands. As we breathe, noticing how the palms of our hands feel. They are as they are. Accepting that and breathing through that sensation. Moving our attention now to the eyes and around the eyes. Breathing in and focusing on how the eyes are feeling. Breathing out and holding our attention around the eyes. Breathing in, bring our attention back to the stomach again and noticing is it the same any little changes if it's the same that's welcome any little changes that's welcome too and we might bring ourselves down to our left foot now and the sole of the foot just noticing how it feels with inward breath noticing how it feels with outward breath and finally, maybe if you're lying down or you're sitting down, your points of contact with the chair or the floor, breathing through this awareness. What's there is there. 
we'll just come back now to continuing our conversation, knowing that we can do a longer version of this at another time. It's, it's very useful to do that, I find. As somebody who suffers from a lot of back pain, I've done this exercise a few times, you know, this, this notion of coming back to where the pain is and then going out to parts of the body where it isn't. It, it seems to almost have a reductive effect. You begin to realise I'm not just all back pain. I just have back pain. It's similar with an emotion, sometimes we can feel I'm all anxiety. But no, actually, I have anxiety and I can differentiate it. I can name it and possibly even, dare I say, contain it. Absolutely. And I I would agree. I mean, in my sense of the work in counselling, what we're looking at is a set of coexisting truths. And what we try to do is not to say that any of one voice is wrong, but to really give space for the coexistence of my sadness, my anger, my hope, my joy, and also my relaxed toes and the butterflies in my tummy, for example. Yeah, it's funny. Sometimes I, I when talking to people about managing their time, um, I'll talk about the different mindset in relation to time of three different situations. One is if you're somebody who works Monday to Friday, how you feel when you get up on a Monday morning going into work compared to how you feel at the end of the day on a Friday evening going home from work and then compare that to how you feel when you're on an airplane going on your holidays. Okay, and how your conception and idea about time in those situations tends to be quite different. So the context is giving rise to you having a very, very different mindset towards whatever it is that's going on in in your life. Now, I think one of the the great things about the the mind is that we have an imagination Uh and a memory. And we can take advantage of that. So I can, for example, if I want to get myself into an optimal state of mind, well, I don't before a performance, before a training, teaching, before an exam, an interview. I don't want to think of Monday morning mind. I don't really want to think of the worst time I've ever had in my life. For sure. I want to bring to mind one of the best times I've ever had. Uh-huh. So I use my memory and imagination to go back to a time in my life when I felt good, Uh I felt relaxed, I felt confident. And, you know, I've noticed how you can you can do this quite easily. Sadly, it can be much easier in the negative, Uh you know, say to somebody, can you remember a time when you were embarrassed? And often they'll bring it to mind and, and get embarrassed. A little harder in the positive, but we can do it. It is something about the way the mind is designed for protection. So if we think about survival and protection, you know, safety is is a is a survival need. Yes. Whereas joy really isn't to the same extent. Yeah. So as you say, we can kind of learn how to do these things. Yeah, and and um I think I, I may have brought this up with you before, this idea that there are two fundamental errors that we would have made in back when we were in the savannah or 
in the jungle. Uh-huh. And the, the first type of error is uh, where we maybe see a sandy coloured stone and it looks a bit like a lion and we run from it, you know, because initially we thought it was a lion. But it turns out it wasn't. It was it was a sandy coloured stone. And that or, seems like a silly thing to do, it, doesn't it? it to it, get it does. afraid of a, of a stone that yeah. is, is just a stone. Or a branch that's just a branch, not a snake. Uh-huh. Or, you know, something like that. But, yeah. but it served us well to do that. The second type of error is we see a lion and we mistake it for a stone. Uh, or there's a snake and we mistake it for a branch. Now, our minds seem to have evolved for the first type of error more. The other consequence <laughs> is that the, the, the second version got eaten more often, didn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so our, our inclination to see the negative quicker, to see the downside quicker, made evolutionary sense. But that doesn't mean we still don't have these fantastic imaginations that can visualize positive outcomes or that can borrow from a very positive experience we've had in the past and bring some of that mind and body state into the present. So, so one of the things that, that I sometimes work with people on is developing a morning routine, say, for example, for an interview, but you can do it for an exam as well, whereby you might start first thing in the morning and you might have on a piece of paper or a post-it an affirmation, a positive affirmation. You know, so when you get out of bed, you, you look at that affirmation. It could be something like, I can be confident today or I know I'll be able to think straight. Yeah. You know, just something like that. As soon as you get out of bed. Yeah. A reasonable affirmation. A reasonable really, affirmation. Yeah. 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 Like, I, I know I'll be able to think straight today or I know I'll have what I need. Uh-huh. And you have a routine around your shower that you imagine your shower as it as the water comes down on your body. It it enlivens you it enriches uh, you it uh, makes you feel good yeah maybe washes away some of the tensions of yesterday that yeah. you don't don't need to carry anymore exactly okay. yeah washing away tension i think is a really nice way of, of mm. thinking about it um and and then you you bring to mind a strong memory of a positive past experience so it could be lying on a beach in malibu it could be i've never been to malibu <laughs> It could be lying on a I beach. drank Malibu. <laughs> so did I. Possibly too much. Uh-huh. For me, one of the ones actually years ago um, when I was fearful of public speaking, I used to bring to mind being on stage um, playing bass. And I had a particular gig that I would remember and remembered that, that feeling of really enjoying it and having the audience enjoying it. And that would be the state I'd bring back to mind Brilliant. as I stepped out to talk Brilliant. to a group. And, and that's, a, that's a really high-end version you have there. Mm. And, and at the same time, I do think that, you know, anyone who's baked a cake, anyone who's done some small satisfying things, you know, yep. even done some nice colouring in a colouring book, yes. you know, uh, scored a goal, done anything that was nice, anything that was satisfying at whatever level, you know, that satisfaction, tuning into that may be an equivalent. Would that work? Yeah. My, my, my wife is works with glass. And if, if, if I ask her, when are you at your most satisfied, comfortable, confident, she will say, in the middle of cutting glass. Okay. You know, 
and it's just that that action yeah. that sound yeah. that everything about that she just loves doing that uh-huh. and so when she's caught up in that moment of doing that that's her flow that's yeah. her balance of the right challenge with the right level of skill just to come back though to, to the the uh, the meditation you did there a minute ago and to me there's a very condensed really simple version of that sometimes when there's an immediate anxiety comes up there's a meditation that i learned from a buddhist teacher Thich Nhat Hanh, who sadly died this year and it's where you identify the emotion so you say to yourself in your mind breathing in i'm aware of anxiety manifesting and breathing out i'm aware of anxiety breathing in i'm aware of frustration breathing out i'm aware of frustration simple as that and you might even take it as far as going and this some people find this amusing but breathing in I'm aware of frustration, breathing out, I smile at my frustration. Uh-huh. And the idea behind that is is that you're differentiating yourself from the frustration or the anxiety or the anger or yeah. whatever it might be. And you're trying to hold it, you know, smile at it, you yeah. know. And sometimes he, he suggests you you hold it as if it was a baby, right. you know. You hold it uh-huh. in your arms as if uh-huh. it was a baby and you take care of it. Because yeah. it's yours. Yeah. And you it's know. allowed feel what it feels. Yeah. I guess this is something that is sometimes described as the observing self, developing the observing self. And within counselling, we try to give people a sense of perspective, mm. you know, and, and one step removed. As you say, I'm not, it's not I am depressed. It's more I experience depression. Mm. And yes. I think that that idea of being able to, to recognise the range of feelings I have is very helpful. I, I'd mentioned to you that one of the practices I'd have at the start of a given day of counselling would be to tune into the various feelings that might be there. I'd usually start from something like any anxious feelings Mm -hmm. then maybe to any anger that might be there. Being human, I'm capable of all of these things. Any sadness that might be there. Not trying to judge it, but just bring it into awareness. Mm -hmm. Breathe through it for a little while and honour its its presence. Mm And then focus in on my joy yeah. and focus in on my sense of peace. Mm-hmm. And in running through this, I guess I free up space to be the observing self for my client in counselling. Yeah. That they can come now with their emotions and they'll have the space for it and I have the capacity to hear them out. allow them to feel what they feel without it being clouded by my own feelings so that's yeah very much getting yourself into a state of of readiness isn't it it's it's you know how can i be as present as i can be for this other person for sure um and if i was to apply that to an exam type situation Mm. I, i i might do something similar and then if I was to layer on top of that, so, OK, what, what anxiousness might be present, what anger, what frustration, what, and then what joy or what focus? Yeah. And if I have a sense of when am I focused? So 
if you can if you can try and raise your awareness of when you're most focused and when that might be and try and bring that to mind as well yeah you know because sometimes if you ask somebody when is your most focused time of the day a lot of people find it hard to to know mm-hmm. because that observing self hasn't actually stood back and gone well when am i most focused yeah so if you can kind of raise your awareness of that sense of focus, you might be able to summon it in the way that you're summoning presence uh-huh. for your client in, yeah. in that situation. Yeah. And there is that thing that if we can set out our study process to have ways that are similar to the process of the exams, that the experience of the study really helps prepare us that bit more. Mm. And that can come down to even the kind of calm reset process that you see sports people doing, whether they're lining up to take a shot or uh, a tennis player bouncing the ball a set number of times, maybe four bounces, and then look up and four more bounces and look up and then serve. Mm-hmm. The bouncing is a calming, getting into the zone, tuning into the same experience that happened thousands of times before in practice. Yeah. So creating a, a very welcoming entry point into the activity. And that could be the next exam question I'm going to take on and study. I take a relaxed couple of breaths. Maybe I do a slower out breath, as we mentioned. Maybe I do the four, six, eight breathing pattern we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I write down any particular concerns before I kick off here. Yeah, yeah. And maybe I tune in to a moment of satisfaction or focus. Mm -hmm. But whatever your routine is, keep it simple and then repeat this same uh, routine when it comes to an exam question in the exam. So you're carrying all that physical experience, emotional experience and mental experience into the exam setting that you've prepared so much for through your study period. The thing I used to do in terms of just my memory was I used a technique called the the, the memory palace. Uh, so for me, it was just my house. And what I would do is, uh, and this was for one of the years of doing my master's and the last year of doing my degree, and these were topics where I had to remember the names of researchers, the year of the research and the summary of what the research was about. And I used my whole house as a kind of a memory palace. So on doors of bedrooms, there would be post-its and they'd be particular colours. So the bedroom door might have, uh, I don't know, Elizabeth Loftus and a, a, re- a year of her study uh, to do with ageing and uh, a very, very brief description of that. And I used to actually get my son um, to guide me around the house blindfolded and we'd stop at each door and I would tell him what was what was on the post-its on the door. But this was a way of me essentially building up a map in my head of all of these different things in, in the house. And it became a little bit of a routine almost. And as I was doing that, also practice deep breathing. Okay. So, so I was getting into this routine of I'm bringing these things back to memory and deep breathing at the same time. Uh-huh. And then there was one final thing I would do, and that was 
the day before the exam, I would get the post-its and I would write the basics of what was in them all down on one flip chart. Okay. As much as I possibly can on one flip chart. Uh-huh. Bring it along to the exam with me. And before I went into the exam, I'd just glance over that whole flip okay. chart. Okay. Um, and the ones I thought I might not remember when I got into the exam, I'd quickly dump them onto a page. Brilliant. You know, yeah. um, and 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 it was it was just a kind of a little routine I got into. Yeah. Um, and surprisingly, you know, one of those exams was was cognitive psychology and wasn't one of my favorite areas. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, yet that was where I got my my highest marks. My um, understanding is that this technique, the memory palace technique, may have started with a Roman orator, I believe, who was trying to remember a sequence. And they, they walked through a garden path and they had, you know, what came first and when they crossed the bridge and so on. I think it's a really, really effective thing. It probably taps into our normal human memory of space if you think mm-hmm. about memory and its importance for early humans yeah well landscape was incredibly important to remember mm-hmm. where is it safe to eat where is the good food where are the lines yeah. you know yeah. and knowing all of these things what are the good escape routes it was so essential for us to remember and i think tying up information with space that you're familiar with is a very clever idea yeah yeah, it is. And again, it's just another kind of clever way of taking advantage of this fantastic brain we have, which, you know, has, again, an amazing memory, yet a memory that can be somewhat flawed, uh-huh. you know, in that we can often easily bring to mind things like, say, what's the capital of France, Paris? But if we ask what's the capital of Cambodia, that might be a harder one to answer, you know, sure. and yet a part of our mind might be going, I know that, uh-huh. I know that, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. Um, but if we have it in a particular place. Yes. And we have it linked to something. Yeah. It can be a bit. A bit and easier. the place being significant to us, I think, is really helpful. A place we're very familiar with and matters to us. Yeah. And I think this idea of tying up what we're doing with what matters to us might be a reason why we sometimes get very anxious. These exams are very important to me. Mm. And that's why I think it's important to recognize that while I might have an objective, something I want to get to, I want to study this particular subject, it's to know that how I get there could really vary. So I was looking at engineering, for example, in Ireland, and the kind of points that students have to get in engineering really vary from college to college Mm. and also if you only pass your exams and get the very basic passing results you can do a preliminary one year and pre-engineering course that can get you into a university as well Mm. so there's so many ways of getting there it's great to have an objective that really matters to you But it's important to know there are many ways to get there. And this brings me to the idea of actually how important our values are, Mm -hmm. of what matters to us in life, how important this is. So I, I remember with a newborn really valuing this child, my first, my son, Mm -hmm. and at the same time, really valuing my sleep and thirdly, really valuing my work during the day. Mm -hmm. Now, 
they weren't exactly going to fit the way they did before. And I noticed that I was sometimes getting 20% of the sleep I'd normally get. Mm. And I came around to the idea, looking at my values, that being a father is really important to me. And that I cannot get into any kind of thought process around resentment for this helpless born, newborn baby. Yeah. It deserves all my love. And it's incredible to see him at any hour of the day when he's fresh and young and new. <laughs> and at the same time, to honor all the experience I have of my work previously and to say that I always went in to work and did my work in good faith mm. with the best of intentions to bring what I could bring. And there was no need for me to let go of my best intentions. Yeah. And to say if I had 20% of my usual energy, I was wasting none of it, feeling bad about the 80% I was missing. Yeah. yeah. And I may have looked like a very relaxed counselor yeah. sitting in front of people because I did everything I could to relax in in the sessions and not worry yeah. and I honored my values yes and I honored what I could give the other thing I, he I hear in that Dermot is is the fact that you didn't let your inner critic take over I didn't and, and that's a concern so it it's a concern so for so many of the students we were talking to yeah. and I, I talked to students in the school I work in as well yeah it's such a concern because again not only do I want people to have an opportunity to do justice to all that classwork, mm -hmm. all that education, all that support, okay. all those hours of study, all those exam papers, they look true and practiced. I want them to do justice to all of that. Mm -hmm. And I think that that comes back to the idea of really honoring all the efforts so far. It's almost like you're saying we, you know, in honoring ourselves in that way, we're being like an inner cheerleader or coach to ourselves. We're, we're you know, looking upon ourselves with a compassionate eye. So I think sometimes it's important to remember that I'm coming from a good place yes. in all the efforts I've made. And I'm just looking to honour that as best I can. And even then to be forgiving of sometimes it matters so much mm -hmm. that I'll be nervous at times, again, allowing that. It's also, I think, important to recognise that it's it's a season of imbalance. Yeah. Once it's over, there's an incredible feeling of, of relief. Yeah. You know, when you get through those seven or eight exams on different subjects that you have to do. Um, but it is just a period in your life. It is just a, you know, we can see it as everything, you know, in, uh, in the time that we're in it, but it's it's not everything. No, you know, we are, we are an, much more than that. Absolutely. And it's part of an ongoing training or learning process that we have. Mm -hmm. But coming back to the imagery, the imagery of satisfaction and focus and so on, we talked to the group about the idea of that moment of relief where we realize that the last exam is done and we're free now. Mm -hmm. And it's a funny feeling. It's like I hadn't really planned for after all of this because it was so looming, so such a big deal at the time. And it's important to remember that we'll get to that place. We'll get to that place of relief. And sometimes it's good to tune into that future self, as I would have done with 
medical students at university or students doing all kinds of different professions. But sometimes with the caring professions, they can visualize their qualified self, maybe in a hospital or out in the open with a large group of people walking towards them with smiles on their faces. People are so satisfied and grateful yeah. that you did all this work, that you did all this study, that you're making such an effort for your exams because you are the person they want to meet as a doctor, a nurse or whatever role you might take on in the future to help them. Mm-hmm. And this is a it's, it's a lovely imagery exercise to do. Yeah, excellent. Um, there's one other thing that came up uh, a couple of times discussing this, and this is the, the challenge of procrastination. And I'm thinking that the the person who procrastinates is is very often in that numbing it out and almost pretending it's not happening situation um, and avoiding, uh-huh. you know. And so we tend to keep putting off and putting off until it's extreme, the pressure kind of thing. Um, my thoughts on that, I, I mean, when, when I go back to the the times when I've procrastinated stuff, I often say to myself, can I write one sentence? Can I do two minutes? Can I do five minutes? Uh Even just that is a start. You yourself, do you have any any methods or approaches to No, well, I'd agree with that one. I think that's a really good start because one of the things about procrastination is that we often find ourselves jumping into social media. I mentioned my narrow escape with TikTok, uh, looking at one thing that was sent to me and finding myself dragging myself away from the screen after 20 minutes in horror at one adrenaline shot after another. Yeah. And I do think that we can sometimes get into needing to use up this nervous energy in something in social media. But I think the idea is to get started, just to get started. And on honest effort any honest effort is worth making Mm -hmm. whether it be just to open up the book or the the computer and write a line to Mm -hmm. start from there even to say to yourself okay i'm only going to work for 15 minutes Mm -hmm. and setting an alarm on the phone and saying okay i'm not going to work for longer than that yes and allowing yourself to do that and then maybe take a break go for a walk have a have a cup of something or whatever you like and then see is there another 15 minutes in me or if you're really flowing on that first 15 minutes what would 20 minutes look like yeah because sometimes that happens i i notice that with myself you know i'll say i'm going to just do three minutes because i'm finding it hard to get started and three minutes becomes 15 um there's another thing i've done actually that that I've found useful and that's where I say to myself, is there one thing I can think of on this topic that I don't know what it is? You know, uh, if I think of an example, let's say transfer RNA. Okay. Okay. Which is um, a type of RNA that's within the the cell. Uh Okay. Now, I can't say much more than that because it's so long ago. Okay. I know there's tRNA and mRNA. I know that's on the leaving certificate. And I probably need to know the function of that and what it's for. And so sometimes just taking one thing, not a whole topic, not a whole chapter, but just one item even. For sure. And say, 
I'm just going to I'm just going to learn what that is. I think there's a Buddhist saying that goes along the lines of I couldn't run a thousand kilometers, but I could run a kilometer a thousand times. Yeah. And it is the idea, again, that, a, you know, a, a, the climbing of a mountain begins with one step, one mm -hmm. small step. Yeah. Um, again, we have the, the first man to to step on the moon you know it was mm -hmm. a giant leap for mankind and but one, one small, small step, step for a man yeah so one mm -hmm. small step i think is really a good way to go as well just a small step get moving because procrastination is about immobilization it's being frozen being stuck mm -hmm. there would be a theory that's very interesting known as polyvagal theory mm -hmm. and they would talk about this frozen state as being one that we have to actively climb out of mm. so they'd ask us to do something very active you know physically active even get the heart rate moving mm -hmm. doing something not passively watching a screen but moving okay. physically for a little while a few short fast steps yeah and then sitting down to do the work yeah because in ways the sitting down to do the work might be close to immobilization Mm -hmm. Sitting is very close to lying down, is very close to sleeping. Yes. So it could be that you do your first small steps standing up, that maybe mm -hmm. you've a raised table or a desk or a tabletop to work off, and you walk around looking at the information, thinking about the information. So actually physically activating yourself out of that yeah. immobilized state may be a help. Uh, somebody told me recently that the way they studied was uh, beside an exercise bike. Okay. And they would go on the exercise bike and they would literally only count to 100, you know. So that's not that much on an exercise sure. bike. They'd count to 100, they'd sit back down, study something, get back up on the exercise bike. And th this time they would try and remember what they had just studied and then go back down, you know. Right. Now, I'd probably mix in there, uh, ask some questions about what you've just studied. For sure. But... Uh, I quite like that notion and I sometimes do that myself where before I sit down to do a lot of, say, design work, I'll actually do a workout okay. and it kind of gets my adrenaline going a little bit mm -hmm. and I'm a bit tired from the workout. Yeah. But my mind is ready to to do something for sure, because like many people, for me, the monkey mind, the mind that wants to grab onto every idea is is a challenge yeah so if i've used up some of my adrenaline and i sit down i'm in a more focused state so i guess we're kind of covered a lot of the areas that we discussed in our recent talk mm -hmm. but we would like to really welcome feedback again in terms of what students are experiencing around this time we wish the very best to anybody who does listen be kind and forgiving of yourself as you go along you're going to experience a range of levels of focus and calm focus and off moments to you're allowed to just allow those to happen reset and go again as best you can best of luck and remember to focus a little bit on the breathing now and get again and let the out breath be a little longer than the in breath and be compassionate with yourself. That inner critic can be silenced or the volume can be turned down and increase the volume on that inner coach, that guy or girl in your head who really wants you to succeed. And the truth is, at the end of the day, you probably find they're there if you look hard enough. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dermot. Thanks again, Peter.